You're listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Ann Goldberg, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Caskell, presented by the National Lipid Association. My guest today is Dr. John Baxter, currently the senior investigator and co-director of the Diabetes Research Center, the Methodist Hospital Research Institute and Chief of Endocrinology at the Methodist Hospital. Dr. Baxter, welcome to Lipid Luminations. Thank you. Do you see the need for new agents to treat both atherosclerosis, hyperlipidemia, and obesity? Yeah, very much so. In spite of the major advances we've made in treating lipid disorders and the wonderful arsenal of medications we have, somebody's still dying of a heart attack every 25 seconds. And we need to do a lot better than, than we've done. So there's a great need there in uh, lipids. But the need for obesity and diabetes is even worse because whereas we are, we've sort of are decreasing the incidence of cardiovascular disease, we're not decreasing and the, the incidence of diabetes and obesity is increasing. Now, can you say that even if you've been able to make your patients adjust their lifestyle and modify their sugar intake, are you still seeing the need for additional meds? I don't think it's realistic in today's environment to think that lifestyle modification is going to fix the problem. It's clear that in spite of major efforts, and I'm certainly for increasing those efforts for lifestyle modification, don't get me wrong, but right now we're losing the battle. Who do you think the major enemies are in this battle? Do you see it as... Fats in the diet, portion size in our diet, or high fructose corn syrup? I see, first place, you know, there's a a massive genetic component to both atherosclerosis, diabetes, and obesity. So some people are not going to respond simply to, to a lifestyle modification. And others will respond to variable degrees, but I see these as problems that need new treatments. And what theory do you subscribe to as the actual cause of atherosclerosis? It's multifactorial. There are so many different defects right now in both the HDL and the LDL pathways and in multiple pathways that increase your susceptibility to atherosclerosis. It's very, very multifactorial. And, and, you know, there are risk factors, for example, we hadn't even thought were as bad as they were before, and one of those was lipoprotein little a. We sort of thought that was sort of an uncommon disorder that if people had elevations, that was bad, but very few people had them. Now we notice that risk factor, for example, is proportional sort of at all levels. And we're learning more and more different things that add to things that can promote atherosclerosis, diabetes, and obesity. Well, if we put lipids aside, do you have a theory on what is creating the initial inflammatory event to even trigger the disease? One nice thing about lipids is if you lower them really, really low, you can start to reverse lesions. So lipids are very important there. And then, of course, we've got other components to once you get the lipids there. Well, let's move on to things that you are involved with, and that is the use of thyroid hormone and thyroid hormone analogs. Can you tell me a little bit about what's in development that you have promised I see great promise. I started working, you know, maybe almost 15 years ago on trying to harness the good effects of thyroid hormone and get rid of the bad. As you know, if one takes too much thyroid hormone, a couple of good things happen. You lose fat and your cholesterol gets very, very low, but you have very serious problems with the heart, with arrhythmias and 
heart failure, you have problems with the bone, and you have problems with muscle. You get wasting of both bone and muscle. And we initially figured out reason that the bad effects on the heart were actually mediated from a form of the thyroid receptor called the alpha receptor, and that some of the good effects were mediated by the beta receptor. But then we developed various drugs that had really three different properties that were favorable. One, they preferentially were taken up first in the liver. Secondly, they differed in their tissue uptake in tissue, say, the heart, with very low uptake. And thirdly, they were specific for the beta form of the receptor. And it's turning out that these compounds in animals can reduce atherosclerosis and have multifactorial effects on lipids, a sort of mechanism that's very different from today's lipid-lowering therapies. For example, it, these drugs can hit both the HDL and LDL pathways at multiple loci. One of the more favorable effects has been on increasing the SRB1 receptor, which is the HDL receptor, which is responsible for removing HDL from the blood. So the mechanisms are multiple, and in animals you also see very, very favorable effects on obesity in several models, including monkeys. And in animals, you see effects in mice, at least, on diabetes. But the jury's still out on diabetes, but it's guessed that whatever it, these compounds have effect, if they're influencing obesity, that's likely to help with the issue of diabetes. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD XM 157. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. My guest today is Dr. John Baxter, who is the Senior Investigator and Co-Director of the Diabetes Research Center and the Methodist Hospital Research Institute and Chief of Endocrinology at the Methodist Hospital. We're talking about newer, smarter thyroid hormone analogs. Dr. Baxter, are there any studies in humans with these analogs? Two different companies now are, at least two different companies, I should say, are developing these compounds. And one of the companies, Quatrax, in Massachusetts presented at the Endocrine Society some favorable effects in very short-term studies. The other company is, is Carol Bio, is a Swedish company, and they've reported three-month studies in humans, which showed very nice LDL cholesterol lowering, about, I think, 30% at very, very low doses, microgram doses. But on top of that, they got even greater lowering of triglycerides and also of lipoprotein little a. So even in humans, the profile of this class of drugs appears to be rather unique among lipid-lowering agents. In addition, they just announced actually this week a study of giving these drugs in combination with the statins. And whereas the data wasn't presented, the conclusion was that they have, at the minimum, additive effects with the statins, which would be very good news because the a major limitation right now to the statins is dose with the you know, liver and muscle toxicity. And anything that could be used to decrease the dose of statins would be welcome in, in the arsenal of, of lipid-lowering agents. What do these analogs do to our carbohydrate metabolism? We're just beginning to understand that. It looks like they may have the potential to improve insulin sensitivity in the periphery. And in the liver, they actually induce effects on glucose production, but also diminish fat production. But, but this is sort of in its infancy of study right now. So if I understand you correctly, it's kind of taking thyroid hormone and splitting it up into good and evil, the, you know, like a stereoisomer, and finding the good part and getting rid of the bad effects. That's correct. And so far, we haven't seen the bad effects on bone or muscle in 
animals and in, in the human studies at least markers there's no evidence for increase in muscle or bone markers are there any side effects that are negative from these new there are no known in humans there are no known side effects there have been uh, very modest increases in liver enzymes and people are concerned that it's going to suppress tsh although I think the opinion leaders in the field have less concern about that. But right now, at the doses being used, they don't see suppression of, of TSH. What's driving this drug into development? Is it really the epidemic of obesity that they're going after, or for diabetes, for lipids, or all of the above? It appears that the easiest effects to obtain are those on lipids. So it's, it, it looks like both companies are initially trying to go for regulatory approval with effects on cholesterol, and, and as the Swedish study emphasizes, perhaps initially to use these as, as things to improve the efficacy of statins and allow decreased doses of statins. I don't know that any company is currently developing these in humans yet for obesity. And how about using it for thyroid disorders, I mean, for hypothyroidism? No, we wouldn't use those for thyroid because we probably would prefer to get both the alpha and the beta effects of thyroid hormone. But we don't know whether they would be useful in that, that situation or not. But I don't think anyone's trying to develop in, in, in that way. So the beta receptors are the good effects, is that correct? At normal doses, both the alpha and the beta effects are good. But it's just that when you want to start getting more lipid lowering and more uh, weight loss and so forth, then you start giving higher doses of the compounds, and that's when you start into the toxicity. So at, at, you know, at replacement doses... It's probably good to have just garden variety thyroid hormone. How did you personally get involved in this field of thyroid analogs? I've been in the field for many, many years. I was studying nuclear receptors, which are receptors that act in the nucleus, and that includes the steroid hormones, retinoids, and vitamins, and so forth. So in my very early career, I was interested in how these work and chose the thyroid receptor to study in terms of basic fundamental mechanisms of, of gene expression. And then, for example, we learned first that it can regulate the growth hormone gene, and that led us to clone growth hormone and produce growth hormone, actually. But then as we went further, we wanted to understand this receptor in great depth, and we obtained a X-ray structure of the receptor, which allowed us to see where every single little atom is in the receptor. And about that time, we simultaneously realized that we should try to develop these selective compounds. And in the year 2008, do you use thyroid hormone for any off-label uses or any indications that most people have never even thought of? People have tried to use thyroid hormone to treat obesity and atherosclerosis and so forth, but it's not recommended. And where do you stand on when you do replace someone with hypothyroidism, if you should just be giving them Synthroid or you should be giving them two ingredients? You know, that's been controversial, and I'm not the expert on it. But I think the, the more common recommendation today is to give just thyroid hormone. Anything else you'd like to say about this new exciting field of thyroid analogs? It's a very exciting area at this point, and I think because these compounds have such differences in their mechanisms from the statins and other lipid-lowering agents is that they're likely to be very complementary to, not competitive with, but complementary to the things that we have there. And so I hope they get developed. We could use this in addition to statins, and in a statin-intolerant patient, we would have some other choices. Exactly. Dr. Baxter, can you look into your crystal ball five years from now? How do you think we will be treating obesity? I think that there are a lot of new things coming out for obesity. 
Most of them are on the appetite suppressant side, but others, like this one, are on the weight reduction side. My concern is that the current regulatory environment, which is, I think, driven more than anything by academic medicine, is so adverse right now that it's going to be very hard to get any of these drugs approved. The number of drug approvals is going down rather than up, whereas science is expanding rapidly. So there's a very rate-limiting thing right now of getting new science into patients, and it's not happening very well. So that's why you can't look into the ball and say when these things are, are going to get here because the current environment is very, very hostile. Well, Dr. John Baxter of the Methodist Hospital, thank you very much for joining us on Lipid Luminations. Okay, well, it was very nice. Thank you for listening to Lipid Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, please visit www.lipid.org. Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals.